Hey, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Morning. Hey, good morning. Hey, good morning. It's a good morning. <clears throat> Thank you for being here, um, ACC Downtown. If you were here with us the last few weeks, you know we just started a new series uh, through a book in the New Testament called The Gospel of John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John, this is a gospel written about the story and person of Jesus from Jesus' best friend, the Apostle John. And as we continue, we're sort of working just verse uh, verse by verse, and so we start here in verse 6, um, and we're going to begin with this message, but before we do, I'm going to ask you a really simple question, and the question is this, have you ever been a witness? Have you ever been a witness? For some of you, I don't know if you guys watched the tournament yesterday, anybody witnessed that Baylor game? That was a crazy, crazy game. If you remember the LeBron marketing ads from years ago, remember, I am a witness, and we were all witnessing his greatness. Maybe you've witnessed an accident on the road or a crime in your neighborhood. You've witnessed a championship game when the Spurs won in 2014 or when they lost in 2013, or was it they lost in 2014? You witnessed it. Have you ever... Um, as an officiant, when you marry somebody, you have to have a witness sign that somebody saw it happen, right? So have you ever been a witness? This past week, uh, me and my wife and some of my friends from my community were a witness for some very particular events. Uh, on Tuesday morning at 3 a.m., I woke up to my doorbell ringing like crazy. Bing, 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 bing. And so I wake up in a frantic, I kind of pull my blinds up from the third floor and I look down and I see this um, small Hispanic lady leaving my front door and running from door to door. I thought maybe a homeless person was playing ding dong ditch with our house. So I was like, yo, come on, you got to be kidding me. And so I look down and I see this lady and I, and I realize, oh my goodness, and I look up and I see sort of blurs of orange and fire trucks everywhere. So I yelled to my wife, honey, I think our neighbor's Will and Arlene's house are, is burning down. So throw your pants on. Let's go. So we both, in a frantic, go to our closet. I throw some sweatpants on. I have no shirt on. I have my mouth guard in my, in my teeth. And I run out the front door, and our neighbor, Crystal, is uh, greeting us. And she's been going door to door, banging on people's doors because just about 30 feet from our house to the left, really 20, 15 to 20 feet from my neighbor Will, who lives on the corner, two brand new builds in our neighborhood caught fire and were completely engulfed in flames. So the fire was like insane, and there's fire trucks everywhere. It's, it's kind of chaotic. You can feel the heat. Um, obviously, they're trying to put the fire out. We're trying to call our neighbors. I don't have my phone because I left it in there because you're supposed to leave everything, you know? Megan's like packing a suitcase, um, and I'm, so I'm telling my neighbors, I'm like, should I go back in and get my phone? And they're like, no. So it's like fire protocol. So we're out there. We're calling off our neighbors like, get up. Like nobody knows this fire is happening. Will walks out with his daughter, Abby, in a blanket. I don't think they had shoes on, um, but his son, Jeremiah, was dressed for school, so he was, he was already prepared. I, the man went to bed ready. And um, so anyways, 
guys, this was crazy. So the fire, I have a video here of the fire from next door, um, as you can kind of see. But it had completely engulfed um, the two brand new builds. Play that again, Sam. It completely engulfed these two brand new builds right next to our house. And so my neighbor Will's house is right there on the corner, and we're just in from that. And so the firefighters are trying to put it out. It was insane. Will made fun of me because I said it was the biggest fire I'd ever seen. Well, guess what? I'm sorry. I'm from Lindell. I've only seen like the only fire I've seen recently was at Hotel Emma sitting at the fire pit with a cup of coffee. Okay. That is a massive fire. So it totaled, basically totaled Will's cars, broke all the windows on the sides of the building, destroyed the trash cans. Um, and luckily nobody had moved into these homes. They were brand new builds, but they weren't finished yet. They had already been sold. Uh, but they were waiting for their owners to, to move in. And here's what's crazy. The only reason the firefighters saw this house on fire was because they were heading to another property, new build on the east side, that somebody had caught on fire as well. So they only saw this because they were heading to put out another fire. So they believe, or I guess some believe, it's, it was arson and somebody burned this down. So it was a crazy experience from 3 a.m. and on and all throughout the week is so many city officials and trucks try to kind of repair our area and the power blinds and all those kind of things. So here's the deal. Have you been a witness? The next day I leave my house and sure enough, Ken's five is there. So Ken's five comes up to me and they're like, you know, can you give a testimony account to what happened? And so I'm like, I've never done an interview. Yes. Let me tell you everything that happened. All right. So, so they interviewed me and Arlene, my neighbor, Arlene. The only thing we remember is she said, there's orange everywhere. And my neighbor, Matt, said it sounded like a Donald Trump joke. But anyways, um, so they interviewed me. We both made the news. My segment was a little longer uh, than Arlene's. But then the next day, or no, no, yesterday, the city of San Antonio, we get a phone call. Have you ever had a call that says city of San Antonio calling you? Answer it. So they call us, and they're like, we're investigating arson in your neighborhood. Can you tell us, like, do you have any videos of what happened? Can you give, like, you basically, like, we want an eyewitness account of what happened. You are a witness, okay? And so as I was thinking about this, obviously, this crazy ordeal that happened in our lives, and as I was reading through the text, literally just verse by verse where we're starting here, and this idea of being a witness was coming up in the text, and I just thought, man, when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, or maybe for you, investigating Jesus, it got me thinking about this idea of witness. And, and here's what's true. As a follower of Christ, there is a need for truthful witnesses to give an account of what they have seen and heard for the sake of others to know the truth. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, there is a need for truthful witnesses to give an account of what they've seen and heard for the sake of others to know the truth. Why would they be calling you? They want to know the truth. What happened? We need somebody to give an account, so we're calling you. You are a witness. So if you are a follower of Jesus or... If you're on the fence and you are investigating Jesus this morning or considering Jesus, what does it mean to be a witness and why does that even matter? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. John chapter 1, verse 6. Read with me again, verse 6 through 8. As we go through the text, it reads, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. 
He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So we'll pause there. This morning as we work through our text, we are introduced in the prologue of John to one of the most famous, notorious guys in all of Scripture. And his name was John the Baptist. Now don't confuse him with the writer here. The writer, John, is John the Apostle. He was best friends with Jesus, disciple of Jesus. John the Baptist is a little bit different. And John is introducing us to John the Baptist. According to Jesus, John the Baptist was the greatest man that was ever born of a woman. Jesus himself uttered that the greatest person ever born this side of history was John the Baptist. So this, this dude is a stud. And he was set apart from birth with a specific message. John the Apostle says he was sent from God. He was sent as a forerunner, as a herald, as a voice in the wilderness to speak of Jesus. His mother and father had received a promise from God about their son that he would be set apart. He was actually called to fulfill what's called a Nazarene vow. And a Nazarene vow meant he could never drink alcohol in his life. He could never cut his hair or his beard. So you know he looked interesting. And he could never touch a dead carcass. That's just a ceremonial thing there uh, when it came to the law. But we see John the Baptist shows up on the scene. But here's what you don't read in the text. is right before John the Baptist shows up on the scene, God hadn't been heard from for 400 years. You see, there may be one page between the Old Testament and the New Testament in your Bible, but in history, that was actually 400 years. From the book of Malachi to Matthew is 400 years called the intertestamental period. So you have the Old Testament, New Testament. Between the Testaments is the intertestamental period. This is 400 years that the people of God have been waiting for a word from God. There have been no prophets, no kings, Nobody speaking as a witness for God. And God was still moving. God is omnipresent. He's always working. But there were no clear prophetic words. And all of a sudden, out of those dark days, this guy, John the Baptist, shows up out of nowhere. And he's been living, according to Mark, in the wilderness for 30 years. Okay, so he's, this is a unique dude. Let's just throw this out here. 30 years he's been living in the wilderness. Mark says he wears camel hair as his clothing. Some, that's, a new, that's probably going to be a new trend coming up. He wore camel hair and a belt. He ate bugs. It says he ate locusts and honey. I don't know about that diet. I'm not sure what specifically what that diet is. But he ate bugs. He wore camel's hair. He lived in the wilderness. And out of nowhere, he comes on the scene preaching this message, repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. And people are flocking from all over to be baptized by him. Out of nowhere. God hasn't been heard from. There have been no prophets, no words. John the Baptist shows up and he's preaching fire. And people are coming. And the religious leaders hate it. Because he's drawing all the attention. And he has, he has no educational background. He has no authority. Who is this guy? And he shows up. As a witness. So the word witness here, used according to John, when he speaks of John the Baptist, this word witness can be used both as a noun and a verb. In the text, it's actually both. A witness is something you are and something you do. You are a witness as a person, but you witness in action. It's both noun and verb. 
John the Baptist was a witness, and he witnessed. So he lays the groundwork for what it means to be a Christian witness. And I wanted to throw this definition up for you this morning as sort of a purpose statement for our message. And here's how John the Apostle defines witness. That the purpose of a Christian witness is to accurately testify about Jesus so that people might believe in Jesus through their account. I'll say that again. The purpose of a Christian witness is to accurately testify about Jesus so that others might believe in Jesus. Look at verse 7 that we read. Verse 7 reads, He, John the Baptist, came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. The purpose of a Christian witness is to accurately testify about Jesus so that people might believe in Jesus through their account. So what does it mean to be a witness? And John is going to give us some very practical things that I want us to work through. Okay, so if you're taking notes, if you want to pull out your phone, I want you to write these down if you can and chew on them this week. And the first thing we, we learn from the Apostle John about John the Baptist's life, as we kind of use it as a case study for being a witness, is this. That a witness is to be a pointer, not the point. A witness is to be a pointer, not the point. You'll notice we have hashtag, or dash Kevin Flowers. Why? Because that was his point that he made, and I'm using it because it's really good. For those of you who were uh, at our kind of send-off at ACC, Kevin gave an ordination uh, for me as a pastor, and he sent us as a church. And one of his points for us as a church was this idea. Guys, as you head downtown, as you witness for Christ, be a pointer, not the point. Look at the text, John chapter 1, starting at verse 19. As it tells us about John the Baptist, here's what it says. It says, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John the Baptist says this, verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So you catching this? When John the Baptist shows up, God had not been heard from. There were no witnesses. There was no prophets. There were no words. And he comes preaching this powerful message, and people begin to draw to him. And John draws both the crowd and the critic. He draws, I love all the babies, by the way. It's amazing. Last week we had a dog. I was curious if the dog was going to make another, if the dog was going to show up again today. It was a real cute one. Um, so John the Baptist, like a real dog, John the Baptist, John the Baptist Shows up preaching this message, right? And he's drawing the crowds, but he's also drawing the critic. And they show up and they ask, who are you? Who are you? Basically, who do you think you are? And listen to what John the Baptist says in verse 20. He makes it very clear, in case you might miss this. He says, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. 
don't know if you caught that. He's denying three times. He's saying it three times. By the way, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. In Scripture, when something is repeated three times, it's trying to make a point. And the point is, I'm not the point. The point he's making is, I'm a pointer. You came asking if I'm the guy you've been waiting on for 400 years who's supposed to save us from our sins, redeem us from slavery. Let me tell you real quick, I would love to be the point, but I'm not the point. I'm a pointer. He confessed. So then they continue asking, what then? Are you Elijah? you the prophet? We needed to give an answer. What do you say about yourself? John replies, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John the Baptist was fulfilling this prophecy given 700 years before his life that he would be a forerunner, pointing people to Jesus. I'm not the point, but I'm a pointer. Now let me tell you this as sort of a side note real quick. If We're just going to draw away from the point, no pun intended, here. Here's the deal. If you ever start living with conviction or standing for something, or stepping into what God has for you, let me tell you something real quick. You will draw both a crowd and a critic. If you ever start living with conviction in your life, truly stepping out to do what you believe God is telling you to do, you will draw both a crowd and a critic. You will draw people who want to partner with you and people who want to question you. You will draw people who want to walk with you and people who want to attack you. And John the Baptist, as he steps out in conviction to fulfill the the message that he knows God has given him, he draws both the crowd and the critic. Let me tell you something real quick. I just want you to know this as a witness. Um, If you never want an enemy in your life, never say anything. Never say anything with your life. Look, look, we live, I, I get, I am a, like, I am a people pleaser to the max. Do we have any people pleasers here this morning? Look, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So what we do is we just say nothing, ever. Because nowadays, I can't post anything on social media without getting both a crowd and a critic. I can't say anything from a platform without people misunderstanding me. And so the reality is, if you, if you don't, uh, if you don't ever want to create a critic or an enemy, the reality is you're never going to say anything with your life. John the Baptist understood this. He wasn't here just to make friends. He was here for a mission. As a witness, I've got to speak what God has told me to speak. And that doesn't mean that I go around and, and I do it in a rude manner. I don't care for people or love people through the process. But the reality is, like, if you want to stand for something, you're ultimately going to have to trust God with who he draws, whether the crowd or the critic. But here's what happens. When John draws them as they come, what he says is, look, make straight the way of the Lord. I'm a pointer, not the point. The phrase that he uses here from Isaiah, it alludes imagery of like a royal procession. So John is saying, I'm rolling out the red carpet. And the star of the show is coming down the carpet. You know, his name is Jesus. He's coming down the carpet. I'm here rolling it out to make straight the way of the Lord. But the star is coming, and I'm pointing to him. I'm not the point. Don't confuse me. Make straight the way of the Lord. Be a pointer, not the point. Now, here's what's crazy. Many theologians believe that John the Apostle specifically wrote these verses because heresy had started to form about 100 years after Jesus' resurrection that John the Baptist was the Christ. 
And so people started to misconstrue John the Baptist's role, that he wasn't a pointer, he was the point. If you remember in Acts chapter 19, Paul meets a group of disciples who he says, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they say, no, we've only been baptized in John the Baptist's baptism because they didn't even know the Holy Spirit existed. They had been following John the Baptist this whole time and had no idea. So this whole theology had built where people were actually making John the Baptist the Christ. To this day, they believe that there's a sect of people over in Baghdad who still follow John the Baptist as the Christ. It's really easy to make yourself the point and not a pointer. Even churches in our world, everybody says, well, I go to so-and-so's church. What you just did was you made him the point. He's a pointer. He's a pastor. We get out of the way. My job is to roll the red carpet, get out of the way for the star of the show. Get out of the way. You're in the way. Be a pointer, not the point. It's not about you. It's not about me. We're all servants. When we stand up here and we sing these songs, am I ushering you as a pointer? Am I trying to make myself the point? How stupid would it be to try to make yourself the point? You don't have the ability to heal anybody. You don't have the ability to save anybody. And yet in our arrogance, we try to make ourselves the point. I remember years ago, I was invited as a co-best man to my, one of my best friend's wedding. And so, you know, as a best man, you have to give a speech. And I had been really instrumental in him meeting his wife. Like, I set it up, right? So I went up there with this story to kind of share about this. But what ended up happening is I made myself kind of the point of the story. And my buddy was kind of berating me for it. Like, dude, what the heck? Like, and I was trying to, to, to give onus to, like, their relationship. But I ended up kind of making myself the center. And I remember walking away from that from that story feeling so shameful. And I think about it all the time. Man, like, my job as a groomsman was to point to the groom, not get in the way of the groom. And in the same way, when it comes to Jesus, you're a groomsman. You're a bridesmaid. You're not the bride. Well, you are the bride as the church, but <laughs> you're not the groom. You're not the groom. So stop trying to be the groom. Be a pointer, not the point. How do you do that? How do you get out of the way? When the world we live in craves attention, everybody wants to be in the way. How do you get out of the way? Well, here's the next point. Pursue humility, not popularity. You want to be a faithful witness? Pursue humility, not popularity. Look at the next verse about John the Baptist's life. Verse 24. It says, Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, so here comes another crew going to question him, then why are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? So they're questioning him again. Verse 26, John answers, Well, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. John the Baptist, he teaches us a second point of being a faithful witness. That's this, pursue humility, not popularity. Why are you baptizing people? What authority do you have? You start living with conviction, people will start questioning you. And then you have an option. John the Baptist, he was drawing crowds. Nobody's even been heard of. We hadn't had a prophet on the scene for hundreds of years. Duke could have soaked all that in. And yet he deflects, I'm not the point, I'm a pointer. And here's what he says. I baptize with water, but among you stands one you don't know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to even untie. You see in this text, 
When he says this phrase, a strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie, this refers to a slave's tasks of undoing the sandals for his master. This was considered the lowliest of all actions that a slave could perform. To take off your shoes, your nasty feet, in a day and age where Nikes didn't exist. To take them off. Judaism would assert that a rabbi's disciple, so John the Baptist being a disciple of Jesus, a rabbi's disciple should be willing to do everything that a slave was willing to do except untie their shoes. So I'm willing to do anything a slave would do, bro, but I'm not willing to do that. But check what John the Baptist says. He doesn't even just say, I'll tie, untie your shoes. He says, I'm not even willing, I'm not even worthy to untie your shoes. He's saying, the lowliest of jobs I could do for Jesus, I'm not worthy to do. He is exalting Jesus, and he is humbling himself. A guy who's just stepped on the scene, who has insane success, and he will not take even one glimpse of credit when they come asking who he is. I'm not worthy even for the lowest of the low jobs. This is a statement of extreme humility. Let me tell you this. You want to be a witness. In a culture that is obsessed with seeking attention, humility is incredibly attractive. I'll say that again to you. In a culture that is obsessed with asking people, look at me, look at me, look at us, look at our church, humility is incredibly attractive. Now, don't get it twisted. Check this. Humility like this will not garner you attention, but it will garner respect. Let me say this, humility like this will not win you any accolades, but we do believe it will win people. Humility like this will not build your church or your platform, but it will build the kingdom. I'm going to say that again. Humility like that, it may not build your church. As much as we wouldn't like to believe it, that narcissistic platform idea, it exists everywhere including the church. So humility like this, deflecting to Jesus completely, taking eyes off you on the platform, it may not even build your church, but it will build the kingdom. And there's a massive difference. Many people build churches. That's not the kingdom necessarily. So if you want to be a true witness for Jesus, according to John, pursue humility, not popularity. And the last point John tells us is very simple. And that's this, point three, testify. To be a witness is to testify to what you've seen and what you've heard. To be a witness is to testify to what you've seen and what you've heard. It sounds redundant, but check this out. Verse 29 in the text as it continues about John the Baptist. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself didn't know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. Listen to this. John bore witness. I saw, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, I saw and I heard, 
He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Verse 34, I have seen and I have borne witness, this is the Son of God. Are you catching this? A faithful Christian witness is somebody who testifies to what they have seen and what they have heard. John very clearly says, I saw the Spirit descend. I heard the voice of God telling me that I would see this. And then in verse 34, I have seen and I have bore witness. This is the Son of God. Now, here's what's crazy in this text, first off. What's so shocking about John the Baptist's hand, like, eyewitness account was that he didn't know who the Messiah was yet. He's been on the scene for 30 years. He's received a word from God, but he does not know who the Messiah is. He's been waiting in the wilderness for God to reveal to him, but he had a word from God. When you see the Spirit descend, you will know this is the one that I chose. So wait, wait on me. Now here's what's crazy. John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. Can you imagine for 30 years you're waiting for God to reveal who the Messiah was and it was your cousin? I mean, this is like, for many of us, like as single people here, you might be like, Lord, I'm waiting on the one. And I will know when you tell me. And then he's like, it's your neighbor, Frankie. And you're like, no. <laughs> Frankie's a good guy, but he don't have abs. I don't want Frankie. Okay. Can you imagine if this was your story? So for John the Baptist, I mean, the incredible humility to go, oh, shoot. My cousin Jesus? was the dude so he sees the spirit descend god had spoke to him and so it's so simple guys but it's so profound listen to be a witness according to john according to the apostle is simply to testify to what you have seen and what you have heard and I know it sounds repetitive, but this is why it's so crucial. Hear me here. You can only testify to what you have seen and what you have heard. Check this. The reason people don't witness for Jesus is because they've never witnessed Jesus. The reason people don't witness for Jesus is they never witnessed Jesus. As a witness, you can only testify to what you've seen and what you've heard. Anything else called hearsay. That's a secondhand report. I don't want a secondhand report. I don't want leftover witnesses. Nobody is called to be a leftover witness. Man, well, I, you know, that preacher, he said this. I'm going to go tell people what he said. Have you ever had your own personal encounter with God? Have you ever witnessed God speak to you? First-hand experience. Listen, let me tell you something. As a, as a follower of Jesus and as a pastor, as a part of this wonderful family, there is nothing more than I would love to see that this family flourish in relationship with Christ, in relationship with one another, that that would overflow into every area of our life. Listen, that because we treasure Jesus above all, your marriages would flourish your families would flourish. Man, your communities would flourish. Your mental health would flourish. That you would treasure Jesus above 
all. That every person here would go out and be a witness to the goodness of God. Every person would walk out of here and say, i got to tell somebody about the gospel that I've experienced. Somebody's going to get it today. Somebody's going to get the gospel today. I don't care where I am. I don't care if I'm at the coffee shop or if I'm at the bar, wherever I am. Somebody is going to hear this news because I'm a witness. But here's the thing. As much as I could tell you that and want that for you, the reality is I can't make you witness. I cannot make you go out and testify to the gospel of Jesus if you yourself haven't witnessed it. That right there, that's just fake. That's inauthentic. It's not real. You're telling somebody about life you haven't experienced. So the most powerful thing we could do for our church to all go and be witnesses is witness. Witness Jesus for yourself and no one will be able to hold it in for you. You will tell everyone. Let me tell you something. The other night after we experienced that fire, I had no problem telling people about that fire. People, hey, you heard about that fire? Literally, I met, we met some girls on our, our Sabbath. We were at this coffee shop, and I was like, oh, you saw that fire on the news? Here's my, here was, this was my interview. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just joking. I didn't do that. They hadn't paid me my dues. I'm waiting on that check from Ken's Five. I don't do stuff for free like that. Got to be a pointer. Not the point. But listen, when... We had no problem telling people what we experienced. Why? We saw it. We heard it. We experienced it. That heat, crazy. That fire, insane. Could have burned our houses down. Burned Will's car down. I have no problem telling people what I have experienced, what I've seen, what I've heard. Nobody has to convince me to go give an eyewitness account because I experienced it. Let me tell you, when you experience Jesus and he transforms your life. You may go to a gospel class to learn the tools on how to share it, but nobody's got to coach you on how to share it because you want to share it. And what you may need to ask yourself is this. If I've never shared the gospel with anyone, has the gospel actually impacted me? If I've never, ever once wanted to share Jesus with somebody, has Jesus ever changed my life? Have I experienced him? And that's not, I'm not saying that to shame anyone. I'm saying that for you to ask yourself, have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Psalm 34. You, nobody can taste it for you. You can tell me about the A1 Thick and Hearty Burger all you want, Aaron. I don't want to hear your testimony. I want to taste it. See, but you could tell me about it, and then I'll be like, let's go. Let's go taste it together. It's good. So there's, there's a story in Exodus chapter 20 where, and we're about to finish here, I know. Moses comes down the mountain, and he's heard from God, and he's sharing the commands of God to the people of Israel. And the people of Israel say, ah, dude, hey, it's just too much. We don't want to hear God's voice personally. Like, you go hear from God, and then you can come tell us what he said. No more of that. No more second-hand, account, secondhand accounts of what God said to someone else when he wants to speak to you. God is not partial to any man or woman. He will speak directly to you if you want it. Jeremiah 29 says, if you seek the Lord with all of your heart, you will find him. So what I want to encourage you with as we close is this. 
Have you been a witness? Have you been a witness? And I don't mean, have you gone out and witnessed to people yet? Have you witnessed Jesus for yourself? Because the reality is, guys, listen, if you witness Jesus for yourself, the latter will follow. If we experience Jesus in this place, man, if today God touched your heart and he spoke to you or he moved you, you just witness something. Go tell somebody. The output is all a product of the input. And if God reveals his goodness to you through the gospel, through Jesus, and you hear the word of God proclaimed and God speaks to you, he stirs you, he moves you, he convicts you, you're getting a firsthand account of God. You're becoming a witness. And the truth is then the rest will follow. So we need, guys, we need people who want to be a witness for Jesus. We need people going out into the darkness who want to give a first-hand account of what they have seen and what they have heard so that other people might believe. So do you want to be a witness? And if you do, I've got good news for you. What's really cool is as we continue the Gospel of John, just a couple paragraphs from this, Jesus is going to see it, say this phrase, come and see. Come and see. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, that, um, that you want to personally reveal yourself to us, that you want us to know you, that you're not hiding. God, that we don't have to finagle our way to find you, Lord, that we can just open our hands, open our heart, call on your name. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, Lord, we want a firsthand experience to be a witness. God, I ask you to forgive me for all the times that I have made myself the point and not been a pointer. God, I ask you to forgive me for all the times I've gotten in the way of your gospel. I've gotten in the way of your goodness. I've gotten in the way for people seeing you, and they saw me instead. But, God, I do pray that every person who sees us as a family, as individuals following Jesus, that they would see an image of you. They would see a picture of you. But not that it would draw attention to us, but it would give glory to you. God, I thank you um, that you are so patient with us in our pride. And I pray, Lord, that you would help continue to humble us as we humble ourselves to continually point to you. And lastly, Lord, I pray that we would testify to what we've seen and heard. Lord, that if we have experienced you, maybe, maybe it's been a while. Maybe your voice feels faint. Um, Maybe it feels like a distant memory, Lord, but, but we know it's there, that we would testify to that. If anything, we would confess and be honest that we haven't been a witness. And that's okay just to start where we are, Jesus, and meet, meet you and hear from you and see you at work in our lives. God, we want to see that. God, I, I so desperately want to see this community, this family flourish walking with you and to be witnesses in downtown, in the greater San Antonio area, everywhere that you send us, Lord, that we would be a witness for you. Not as the point, but a pointer. Man, we need you, God. We need you, Jesus. We really, really need you. And we want to see darkness push back and light invade every corner of this place. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.